0: Result in long-lasting consequences, whether good or bad, and how it's very easy for us to get to a point where we just begin to cruise or just float through our life without really any kind of um, periods of time where we just take, where we stop, and we examine ourselves, as Paul said, whether we are in the faith. And when Paul said that, that we should examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith or not, I think it's easy to misunderstand that verse, because it would be easy for us to interpret that verse from the perspective of introspection. You know, to ex- look at ourselves like, uh, how am I doing? And depending on your mood that day, or uh, your health or the way you feel or your your performance as a Christian, you may have varying results. I'm doing great. I'm not doing great. Uh, depending on how your wife is feeling that day or, you know, how, you know, the conversation that you've had at home, uh, you could maybe feel pretty bad about yourself or the way things are going. And so we need an objective standard where we're looking at ourselves. And we said a little bit last night that that is divine perspective. And so... Um, the trap that we can get into is thinking that when I was young, I didn't know what I was doing, I was naive and I made a series of bad decisions and now I'm trapped in this situation whether it's my job, my career, my lack of (coughs) career, my marriage, kids or no kids or whatever situation we may find ourselves in and when we get older and I know that a lot of us are young here, but when, we, when men get older, they have this tendency to do a lot of just reflecting on their past, life, you know, on their, on, their, on their earlier years. And that's very dangerous because we should never analyze ourselves outside of God's perspective of who we are. A lot of people never discover who they are in Christ. They go to church. They're faithful every Sunday, every Wednesday, or whenever they go to church, but they never get a revelation from God about who they are as a man, and that happens more often than you can realize. A lot of men don't really have a rhema from God about their value, their worth, uh, their calling, um, and their gifts about where they're going with God, and without that anchor, uh, when trials come, when relationship, when relationship issues begin to happen, when finances hit us, when just the daily grinds just starts to wear us down, uh, we need to have that anchor of who I am in Christ. And if we don't have that anchor, then we're toast. We're going to be floating off into the sea without an anchor, without any direction. And that always ends bad. And so Paul here is at the end of his life in Act, well, near the end of his life in Acts 26, verse 19. And um, I just want to read this to you. He said to Agrippa, and it's kind of interesting because near the end of Paul's ministry as an apostle, he's on trial for everything that he's done. And this actually can really happen in the life of a man. Although he's not maybe physically on trial, there could be an invisible Agrippa or an invisible trial going on in his mind about assessing his life and what is Paul's testimony he said oh King Agrippa I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision and that's a great testimony that Paul had at the end of his life about his walk with God and you don't see Paul talking about wasted years you don't see Paul talking about bad decisions Uh, you don't see Paul talking about things that could be so easily discussed, but he's talking about his walk with God. And was Paul perfect? No, he wasn't. Was he disobedient sometimes? I'm sure he was. But what is it? What is Paul saying? He says, "I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision." And when you know, when we when we look at our lives with God, um, there are going to be times of transition. There are going to be times when there's going to be mountaintop experiences. Then there's going to be valleys of failure or difficulty, and then there's going to be other, other mountains. And the thing to remember is, is that during these times of transition from faith to faith, there can be failure, and there can be discouragement, there can be severe doubt. And um, that's an important thing to understand that it very may well be that a man doubts his Christianity, that he doubts uh, what he's believing he doubts um the bible or he even doubts the existence of god it happens men get these crazy things in their heads sometimes we can easily doubt and for someone to say that i've never doubted i doubt that they are even a human being because doubt is part of the human psyche it's something that we go through and what's important is is that we keep the divine perspective like paul said um Romans 1 verse 17, in his calling he went from faith to faith. And um that's why I'm, this is what keeps us from going off the rails in our life as a Christian, that we take we have um these short accounts, maybe once or twice a year, whenever you can do it, we just sit down with God and say, God, am I in your perfect will? Um you know, And we just allow God to correct us, to speak to us, to tweak us, to um, get us to that point where we're on the, the, rail, the right rail with God. Because what can happen is, is we begin to coast and we find ourselves in a circumstance that is really just a troubling situation. So the point I want to just make briefly this morning is vision that men have been made to live in our psyche, and I'm not a professional man analyzer, I mean, I'm not, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know a lot about this subject, I just know I'm a man, and I know that, uh, how I function as a man, but I, I understand that if I personally, maybe I should just say about so, myself, if I personally don't have one um, ultimate amazing purpose in my mind or in my life, then I'm going to flounder and it's going to affect my relationships, it's going to affect my leadership and my family, it's going to affect my job, it's going to affect my health, it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect the inner sanctum of my mind. And so we need to have that conviction of an eternal purpose in Ephesians 3.11 like Paul talked about, where we actually have in our minds Maybe we don't know all the details about it, but to have a vision. Now, when someone says, well, you know, maybe you're new here, you hear us talking about a vision, you're like, well, that's kind of abstract. What does that mean? That I have to have some kind of vision you know, apparition appear to me and say something to me, or have some kind of um, experience in, you know, uh, on a mountaintop somewhere to so that. You no. Know, Vision is when we have an inner, an inner, aha moment from God where, where God speaks to us in the deepest part. Now, we have to be born again first is that to happen. And if you're not born again, I mean you may be religious, but if you're not born again, then the Holy Spirit's not living in you. It's just your body and your soul, and your spirit's not functioning. So this is all Greek to you. And if you're not born again, then I would suggest um, accept Christ into your heart. Uh, Allow Him to be your Savior and give your life to God. And that spiritual awakening will happen in your life. The Holy Spirit will be regenerating your spirit. and You'll you'll begin to see God and understand His Word. So in our lives as men, we need to have that moment where, where we have... God speak to us. Now, someone may say, well, I don't know how to hear from God, or maybe God is speaking to me, but I'm missing what God's saying. Let me tell you, God has no problem talking to us. If He wants to tell you something, He definitely will make it very clear to you. How many of you have ever had God say something to you, like in a personal way? I think I've had God speak to me maybe four major times in my life. I can't say that it was like, you know, an angel appearing before me, but it was a moment with me and my Bible or someone saying something to me that I understood that this is God speaking directly to me as His creation, as His Son. And so I remember this time when it happened when I went on the mission field for the first time when I was a teenager. The second time it happened when I God really spoke to me about going to Bible college and not to chapter 4. Another time was about um, uh, about who I was going to marry and another time was about um, just... Um, going to um, Ukraine and to Poland and so there has to be that moment where we quiet ourselves and this is a big thing a lot of a lot of us don't know how to get quiet I mean our life is so melee so busy that um, we get up in the morning and we just hit the road running there's no time really with you and your Bible and this is so important that we learn how to quiet ourselves and just get quiet. Um, it's important because I remember riding in a taxi one time with someone overseas, and there was some silence in the taxi. And the person I was with said to me, uh, tell them to turn on the radio. And I said, why? And they said, I just can't have silence because I'm <coughs> You know what that means? It just means that Sorry. there's noise in our soul, that there's unrest, there's anxiety, there is, there is this numbing pain that has not been addressed by the cross, by the wind, the Word of God. That's why people um, need to listen to music all the time, or have the TV on all the time, or sometimes kind voice of factor. we got to learn how to get quiet. And When we get quiet, we can begin to hear from God. And God wants to speak to you. Here's a couple things that we need to remember. Number one, God wants to speak to you. It doesn't matter where you're at in your life. Maybe you finish Bible school and you've got kids and you think, okay, it's over, I'm no longer a disciple, I'm just a dad working a thousand hours a week, and that's it. No, so God wants to speak to you. And the second thing is that God has a calling on your life. Every man in this room has a calling. And we live in a society where we said this last night. That society really ditches the male image through many different things. Like if you turn on the if you turn on the TV, you can see cartoons about the lazy, dumb dad. You know, like The Simpsons. Or I don't watch that, but I have seen clips of it. Uh, there is a there is the whole internet pornography, the whole the whole uh, Hollywood scene that just really. Attacking the male image to bring it down, and to make it weak, to make it to bring it into a place of just bondage where there's no authority or power. That's what happened with Samson. Samson gave his strength to someone who stole his strength and his gift. And so, having a vision in our life, and how do we have a vision? There's a there's a, there's a few ways. Number one, um, and and. we could look at Romans chapter 12, the first thing really how to get a vision in our life is to surrender at the cross. And again, that's another abstract principle. What does it mean to surrender at the cross? It just means that God many times is battling for your attention and my attention. And we may have gone to church for 30 years. Maybe we grew up in a church, went to Sunday school, or maybe we were even a missionary or did some kind of Christian service, but... That all doesn't matter. Really, what matters is what's going on in my mind today with God. What's going on in my soul? Uh, where, where's my life at spiritually with God? It doesn't matter how many classes I've taught or how much exegesis I've done. Or it just mat- the question is: is where are you at today? And that's a that's a that's a that's a pretty sobering question. Where's my mind at? And the and the thing is is that number one, to have a vision in your life, surrender your life at the cross. And this is something that we got to do every day. In the morning, just when you wake up, make it part of your routine. Like, God, Romans 12, 1. I'm just surrendering surrendering myself a living sacrifice at the cross. Because if you've ever worked with other men, (laughs) there's always that issue of will and male ego and our determination. Um, And this is what God's got to deal with. He wants to bring our... Bring our thinking and our, and our will to a place of surrender to Him. And that's when God can begin to speak to us. And by the way, Romans 12.1 1 may be actually something that happens in your life after a series of negative experiences. It may be something that happens to you after something traumatic. Maybe this is something that happens to you when uh, you are um, at the end of some very difficult circumstances. And then you say, I surrender. And so that's number one. And then when we surrender, then we're in a place where God can speak to us. And that's the story of Jacob, isn't it? Jacob was in a place where he was always conniving in his own uh, energy to live and to please God to do what he thought was, in his opinion, the best thing to do. But God had to bring him to this place called Penuel where he wrestled with an angel and slept on a rock. Remember that? Many of us felt like that we slept on a rock last night. And this is where Jacob was at. And God got a hold of Jacob. The second thing is, is um, Romans chapter 6. After I've surrendered my life to God, I take up a personal cross, which means I'm dying daily. This is not just a thing where I do one time, but it's a daily thing. Taking up a daily cross... And you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, churches out there today that talk about amazing experiences, worship, uh, great programs, but how many churches today are talking about a cross that can transform a person's life? It's not a very popular message. The third thing is um, having just a having our eyes on Christ. You know, sometimes we get away from the amazing the amazing story of the Gospels. Like I think it's healthy for us to sit down and read through the Gospels, to look at the life of Christ, get, look at the book of Mark, or the look, of, look at the book of um, Luke, and just go through the life of Christ and observe His life, and observe the way He was, and the way He ministered to people, the way He healed, the way He talked to His disciples. I think we can get away from a Christocentric theology or a Christ-centered theology, and that's very dangerous. The next thing is... Um, really, prayer. And you know, A.W. Tozer talked about, he wrote a book called God Tells Man Who Cares. And I just love that title because God has a lot to speak to us and he wants our attention. When he gets that, he can speak to us. What are some things that can destroy a vision in our life? What are some things that can just take away the that passion that that um, We can notice that is ebbing away sometimes. What can steal that passion? Well, a divided heart. Uh, We were talking about with someone late last night at one of the camp, uh, one of the tents. That in Psalm 86:11, David prayed this: "God, uh, unite my heart to fear Your name." You know, the most important part of you and I today is where our heart is at. Is my heart divided? Meaning? Is there something in the back of my mind that is distracting my focus and concentration in my life on God um, or on my wife or on my job or on my calling or on my kids? The devil wants to divide your heart because remember that old saying, divide and conquer? Well, that's a military strategy. Get ethnic groups to fight each other and then you get a, a larger superpower coming in and just taking over the whole thing. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to get you and I to get divided in our heart about things that I love this, but I also love this. I want this, but I also want this. And both are in contradiction to each other. And that's why it is so important that our heart is really in the hand of God, that we just give God our whole heart, because that's the center of all of our affections. If our affection engine or our... our um, the, if our heart is divided, then um, your strength and my strength is going to be really diminished. Samson is a good example. Samson had a divided heart. Uh, Samson um, wanted Delilah's affection and attention. Sometimes men can be so hungry for women's attention that it creates such a distraction in their life, and it hurts their marriage. Uh there are things that men look for, like validation. Um, we look for this sense of validation, or we look for this sense of um, approval. Um, we actually can maybe even find ourselves asking people a question, um, looking for that sense of approval, and because maybe we didn't get that at, you know, when we were growing up, or maybe we didn't get that, um, uh, that need met. And you know something, there is a time when we as mentors or disciples uh, really need to infuse that encouragement and that empowerment and that, um, like Paul did to in Acts 20, he said, I commend you to the grace of God. Paul spoke to Timothy and he really encouraged Timothy. And Paul was not afraid that Timothy was going to get proud if he encouraged Timothy. Because you know something, sometimes i know i'm all over the place here but sometimes we are afraid to encourage people because we think they're going to get proud that doesn't doesn't, don't worry about that because if somebody gets proud guess who's going to really deal with that god's going to deal with that so you know something we should really be encouragers of other people encourage people another time sometimes we don't encourage other people because we're secretly a competition with them we don't like we're like well i don't want to encourage them or build them up too much because then I'm then they're going to be in competition with me you know what my thought is I hope that the people that I disciple become much more effective and much more gifted than I am because if that's the case praise the Lord I I really want people that I'm investing in to succeed way beyond me because you know why it still goes on my account you know what I mean it still goes on my account so um the divided heart you know um there was an article I was going to read and I'm not going to read it now maybe later but it was sixteen things that a man uh, that was divorced uh, said that married men should do and it's just phenomenal I mean I've never read anything like it and I came across it the other day and you know love your wife if you're married love your wife with your whole heart let her be the let her be the woman and just continue to remember how you fell in love with her and Uh, spend time with her. And we can talk about this later, but really don't let any other person into that heart of yours where your wife is supposed to be. Really guard that. And then in your vision for like if you're in ministry or if you're a father or wherever you're at, get a revelation from God about what you're doing. Hear from God like, you know, I can be a dad naturally or I can be a dad spiritually. And what does that mean? And um, not letting our heart get divided. Because when your heart gets divided, then our mind gets divided, James 1, eight, and then we become, um, we, have no, we have no impact. Uh, Pastor Stevens said this in a class, in a Romans class, I remember a while ago, he said that many people struggle with concentration because they don't have any consecration in their life. Consecration means that I am setting myself apart because God has a plan for me. And not everything for me is um, is something that I have the liberty to do. Maybe somebody else has that liberty and I don't judge them. But God has a calling in my life. And I really want to dedicate and sanctify myself for that calling. I want to be prepared and, and equipped in that calling. Because it's a high calling. How many understand what I'm saying? This consecration which... Happens through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and good preaching. This consecrating effect in your life separates our minds from just the, the things in the world that can wear us down in Daniel chapter 7. The second, um, the second thing, and I already said it, the second thing that steals vision is a divided mind. You know, have your minds made up about certain things. Don't leave things in your mind unsettled. Settle things in your minds. Uh, we were talking with some guys on the way down here. There are some things in your life that are non-negotiable that, that you should do, that we should do, that I do, that are non-negotiable. For example, convention for me is non-negotiable. I'm there. Even though I don't live in Baltimore, I'm there. Uh, my wife and I uh, go to Eurocon every March. Not everybody can do that, but for me, that's just something non-negotiable. I'm there no matter how I feel. Um, going to church is non-negotiable. Why? Because if I don't go to church, if I'm not hearing the Word of God, then I'm not being built up in faith in Hebrews chapter 10. Um, if you're not built up in faith, and guess what? No shields. And if you got no shield and you wandered into battle, what's going to happen? You're going to get stuck with arrows, aren't you? Projections, poison from the atmosphere. So we've got to build ourselves up. You know, encourage yourself. And then number three, Matthew chapter 6, what steals a vision? And this is a big one, and I can tell you. I can attest to this, details of life, details of the family, details of job, details of relationships, details of health, details of kids. These things are really great blessings, but don't let your blessings run your life. And we get a great life in America. It's just, I've been driving here from Philly and driving down here for breakfast this morning. You can just see the level of recreation and fun we have in our country, it's amazing. And this is not like this everywhere in the world. We cannot allow our blessings to run our life. we got to rule our blessings. Don't let the cares of your life begin to run you. And here's the thing, is that, um, and I'm not into self-help stuff, but, you know, this may help you and it may not help you, but time management is so big because there are four quadrants of people's time. And... A lot of times, people are spending most of their time trying to put out crises and fires, and they're not doing the most important thing in their life, which is their priorities. Get um, Franklin Covey's book on the, on the four quadrants of time. It's very practical about how to organize your schedule and have a priority structure. Like, for example, as a man, and I don't—I'm not talking down to you. I'm talking to myself too, because you know, I'm in no way anyone that's arrived man, I'm better than anybody else here. But let me ask you, when you make a decision with you and your family, do you have a, pri- a list of priorities that you run that through first? When you make financial decisions, are you running through a list of priorities? Like, what is my priority? Well, number one, I want to tithe. Number two, I want—I have a little vision that I'm putting aside some money for, like a mission trip or supporting another missionary or whatever, or helping someone down the street or you know, do we have a list of priorities? Because if we don't have eternal values that we're running through our decisions through, then the cares of this world are going to eat up your money, it's going to eat up your time, and you're going to find yourself um, deficit with your with your in, in your family and your personal life. So that's so important that um, we have that. And then the last thing that can really steal our a vision in our life is just sin. Sin is just, you know, I mean, all of us are human beings here. So, like, and it's just so great. Romans 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Like, God is not in heaven condemning us today. God is in heaven um, encouraging us. Billy Graham said this, that when we get to heaven, we're going to be astounded at how good God really is. It's going to be such a revelation to us Even though that we're greater grace and that's our name, or we're grace people, we're going to get to heaven, we're going to be like, unbelievable, I did not even realize how gracious God is and how good God is. And if I understood this better, I would have prayed more, I would have asked God for more, I would have taken more steps of faith in my life. Sin is just the opposite. Sin is something that is. sin is the biggest scam in the universe, that's what it is, sin is the biggest scam in the universe. Here's the scam, okay? The devil targets a need in your life, and then he presents something to it, and he says, "This will fulfill your need," but you know what? It doesn't. It actually makes the need bigger. It makes the hole bigger, and it makes, and you, if you've ever studied addictions, there's this law of the law of diminishing. What do they call it? <coughs> effect, right? Diminishing effect, something like that. You need more and more of it so that you can be more and more satisfied sin is a big scam and don't be tricked by what the world says because the world says hey come partake no strings attached go home what happens in vegas stays in vegas that's such a scam because when we go into sin what will happen is is that that latches on to our soul and when we leave it's it's coming with us (coughs) it's in our soul and so sin is such a scam and we got to look at it like that like you know what I'm not going to be scammed. I'm a man. I'm God's man. God's got a calling in my life. I'm going places with God. i got a vision. Uh, he, uh, my, i got a little plan here, and I'm not going to get scammed by sin. You know. And if you're struggling with something, and I always say this, it's not bad to ask for help. Sometimes you, you may look at other guys here and say, wow, you know what? That guy's got, he's such an amazing guy. He's got nothing going on bad in his life, and... He needs to, he's got no problems, and he's got a great family or a great job or whatever, you know. But that's just appearance. We are all at an even place as men. And every day, every one of us need to go to the cross and get grace from God. If you need help with something, and I always, we always say this, get help. Just ask for help. Find another guy to get accountable with and just say, you know what? I'm struggling with this. And you know what's going to happen? Nine times out of ten, they're going to say to you, you know what? I've struggled with that too, and this is what helped me. You know, get, get some help with someone. Because here's what happens, is that, is that people get isolated. They get isolated from, uh, from their calling and from the body, and they just start walking around with this cloud over their head, and they can't see anything. They think that they're the only ones struggling with this. That's not the case. Um, I don't know about Baltimore or this area, but I know in, in the suburbs where our church is near Philadelphia, there's a huge problem with heroin. It's unbelievable. And I was at a, I was at a senator's office with Kyle a couple weeks ago, and uh, they, they have a lady in there. Her name is Annette. And her job, one of her only jobs, is to sign death certificates of people that overdosed on heroin. That's what she does. She just... She just signs them and then files them. Um, why are addictions so great today? Because we live in such an affluent society, but there's such an emptiness inside. And I'm going to close with this. I think Abraham was in very much of a similar situation when he was living in the Ur of the Chaldees. Remember when God called him in Genesis chapter 12, follow me. He says, I will make you a great nation in Genesis 17. Remember when God spoke to Abraham? Well, this is my theory about how that all happened. I think that Abraham, living with his family in the Ur of Chaldees, which was the, 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 the center of world culture at the time, he was living there. He had his job. He had his family life. He had things he was doing, probably fun stuff that he would do as a family or as a, you know, and as, and as a personal person. And it just got to a point where he said, there's got to be something more than this. There's got to be something more than this. And he began. God began to cultivate in his heart a hunger for something more. And in that moment when God spoke to Abraham, when he said, leave your country, leave your family, leave your kindred, I will take you to a land that you don't know about, and I will bless you there. I think that that is something that is very... Um, Consistent with our lives is that we can get so embedded in our daily life that we lose sight of that that um, dominating purpose, that dominating vision, that thought in my mind. That because you know something, if we are not living in a vision or living with a sense of the calling in our life, then then your details of your life, uh, your relationships are going to lead you. And we all know this, those of us that are married, that if if a husband gets insecure about himself, about what he's doing, then you know what that does? The wife detects that immediately. The wife's got like 17,000 antennas that men don't have. She can read our minds. She knows when we're up to something. She can just, and many times they don't say anything, but they just just know it. I've come to the conclusion that my mom and my, my wife we're both mind readers and so they know exactly what's going on in, in, in our life and so what happens is, is that if you get insecure in your life she will detect that and because women are built to to enjoy an environment of security and love and acceptance then they're going to panic and they're going to say he's out of con- he's not in control he's not in control of the finances he's not in control of his job or 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 his you know and we're in trouble and then she's going to start taking over things, and she's going to start running the family, and she's going to start running you, and and that's when nagging starts and all this stuff. That this is the how this is how we avoid that. That when we get when we build ourselves up, maybe later today we can talk about encouraging ourselves. When you encourage yourself, you're building yourself up into a place of security and confidence, and that's what masculinity is today. You know. Masculinity has been so warped today in the society that we live in. True masculinity is that I am so secure in God's plan, like Jesus was. I'm so secure in God's love. And I'm so secure in my position with God. I'm so secure in the grace of God that if I failed, it's not failure, but it's just a stepping stone. I'm so secure in that 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 produces an environment around me of godly confidence, and that's masculinity. Jesus said in, in John chapter 10, verse 18, and we said this last night that "No man takes my life from me, I lay it down willingly." And that's what true masculinity is, is that, is that I don't need to walk around and boss everybody around or be the ruler, uh, because I'm secure. I mean, we are secure in ourselves, and we know that we know who we are, we know where we are at, we understand our position. And therefore, I don't need to walk around and manipulate people and to, and to say things that will, that will um, irk my wife or irk people that I live with or that will tear me down. I am secure, and therefore, I can take steps of faith with God and know that, you know what, if I fail, I don't really fail because God will never, never cast us down. And, and I just want to say this, ask you this question. It's going to sound a little bit. I don't know if it's going to be a spiritual question or not, but if you think about what you dream, what would you, you know, what is your dream, and what is what is your dream or your 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 faith dream with God, and what do you fear that is keeping you from moving forward in that direction? For example. Maybe a man has a calling to be a preacher or a missionary or maybe just maybe God, God has a calling in your life to be a godly husband and you're afraid to get married because you're afraid you're going to fail that woman, that you're not going to be able to lead her or love her the way, she, the way you think that she needs to be loved. Maybe you have a dream to be a godly husband and you're like, well, you know what? I've had 17 divorces. I'm just, not, I'm just joking, by the way. I've had, I've had divorces. I'm not a good husband. This is not going to work out. But let me ask you this. What is the fear that's keeping you from moving forward in that direction by faith? And just get with God about it and say, you know something, God? I'm not going to live in fear about that because God is with me. And, I'm, and, and if God is with me and I fall flat on my face, then I'm still loved. Somebody said to a missionary that was moving overseas to plant a church, they said to him, you know, you're going to utterly fail. You're gonna, it's not going to work. You're just going to mess up you're going to totally fail and you're going to come home like a, a, a puppy with your tail between your your legs. And that was really encouraging, right? And you know what the guy said to that person that was saying that, who was secretly in competition with them? He said, he said, you know what? Thank God I have a body that loves me that I can return to, that will accept me the way I am. And that's the body of Christ. That's us. That's you and I. That we are in a group of people that love us and that Are just so ready to encourage and so ready to help, and that's really how we discover. um, Get a vision with God and hear from God, and then define what the fear is, and say, you know what, I'm bringing that fear to the cross. I'm surrendering to the cross. And if there's something in our lives that needs to be dealt with, if we got something going on, you know, on the side, we got to deal with that. Just got to deal with that, you know, because it's going to take us down. we really got to deal with that. We got to understand that's 911 situation, and it's not that we're condemning. You know, that we just got to understand that this is the thing about idols. And I don't know how I should finish, but um, this is the thing about idols. There were always demons associated with idols in the in the Old Testament, right? Like when there's something in my life that I'm worshiping other than God then that thing is not just something I can play with and then put in the closet and it's going to stay there and just going to be, you know, something that I'm, you know, leave it there till next time. That thing, is, that thing is going to want more and more attention. It's going to, it's going to want more and more um, attachment with you, and it's going to get become more and more attached to us. And that's why we have to be so no, non-sentimental with things that we just got to cut things off and say, you know what? That's not me. I've got a call with God. I'm a man of value. God loves me. And I'm, I'm with people that love me. And I've got such a blessing in my life of a family. And then we just deal with things and say, that's dangerous. And we just cut it off and we move forward because we just don't have time for that. Do we? And it's not really, we're not really loving ourselves if we're, if we're living with that thing. So, those are four things that can steal our vision and maybe we could open it up for some, you know, I talk, I spoke for a really long time. I said I wasn't going to do that, but I did. But um, maybe we could just get some questions or some comments, Pastor Jason or anybody. Wants